Hey there, I'm Ange McCormack, the host of Schwartz Media's daily news show, 7am. This is The Weekend Read. Every fortnight on the show, we feature the best long-form writing in Australia, read to you by the people who wrote it. Today on the show, writer Conrad Muller with his piece from a recent edition of the Saturday paper. Making wine at a boutique organic vineyard in the beautiful Tasmanian countryside might sound romantic, but what does it take for winemakers to achieve that dream? Do the benefits of rehabilitated soil and restored wildlife outweigh the costs of going organic? It's a question that Conrad Muller, who works on a small vineyard in Tassie, wanted to find out. Conrad will read his story, Notes from a Small Vineyard, after a short conversation. Conrad, can you talk to me about the vineyard you work on? What kinds of wines you make? What does it look like? Can you paint me a picture? Well, we're a very small vineyard. Um, we're, we're under a hectare, uh, two and a half thousand vines uh, on the West Tamar. So this is about 20 minutes drive north of Launceston, um, just Pinot Noir. Um, I don't know how technical I should get, but we have, uh, there are five clones on the block. Um, some of those clones were originally sourced from Burgundy. And then in addition to the complexity of the clonal profile, we've got a degree of variation in the soils. There's volcanic, uh, sandy and, uh, and, and some clay soil. Some, there's a strip of so-called terra rossa there, which is sort of red clay, which is actually a feature of that segment of the Tamar. So if you put those two elements together, it in theory should allow for a greater complexity in, in the fruit that you're producing. So, Conrad, your vineyard stopped using chemical herbicides a few years ago. Can you explain why and, and what happened? Well, it's probably true to say that if you shift from chemicals and a canopy spray to uh, natural materials, generally speaking, they're, they're cheaper. So the actual cessation of the use of uh, synthetic chemicals, as a rule, is cheaper. But this shift is not that uncommon these days. There are numbers of growers who are, who've shifted away from the use of chemical herbicides. Uh, one reason why people might hesitate to do this is that if you uh, remove the use of uh, chemical herbicides and um, let the weeds grow, it means that there's more competition for the resources in the soil between the weeds that grow and the vines themselves. And so it can lead to a decrease in yield. But um, our plot of land is uh, is fairly vigorous. It's fairly fertile. And so We've been able to do that and we've found that, in, if anything, the, the profile of the fruit has actually improved. Certainly the profile of the soil has become much healthier. And I guess in Australia there's a strong culture of winemaking and it's a, you know, there's a lot of diversity amongst winemakers and growing in Australia. But broadly, how does it feel to contribute to the diverse array of, of practices that we see around the country? I think practices are, you know, they're changing and evolving. I mean, I can really only speak of uh, the growers that I know uh, who are largely small to medium growers uh, and people, generally speaking, are always looking at ways to try and improve their farming. Uh, and they're open to an exchange of ideas and a degree of experimentation. It's not static. It's very, um, in Tasmania in particular, it's quite a dynamic scene. And, uh, yeah, no, it's a nice uh, place to be involved with winemaking, Tasmania at the moment. Conrad, thanks so much for your time and looking forward to hearing you reading the piece. Thanks very much, Ange. Coming up after the break, Conrad will read notes from a small vineyard.
For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Notes from a small vineyard. Budburst came early this year. A spring broke warm and dry, not the usual shivering through cold, sleeting rain. The vineyard exploded like a green bomb, and the vines, laid down on their winter canes, sent up shoots, too many shoots, wheeling and tangling on trellises in sun and passing cloud. As I did my tasks between the rows, thinning shoots by hand, clipping them up between the wires, removing excess leaves, cutting back the weeds, I found myself contemplating two contradictory questions. The first was whether we would use water this year. By November, sections of this small vineyard on Tasmania's West Tamar were already looking parched, the grasses turning to dun and straw, the clover dying early under chalky skies. We'd not irrigated for nearly ten years, the thinking being to drive our Pinot Noir vines to develop healthier, stronger roots. I now began to reconsider that dogma, and in mid-November, heading into flowering, watered the vines. The second question was, how much further should we go in rolling back our use of synthetic chemicals? If all agriculture involves some measure of violence or control, then we had chosen to put our farming on a simpler, more natural footing, cooperating with the environment, minimising the risk of harm. Three years ago, we stopped using chemical herbicides to control undervine weeds. The results had been eye-opening. Where previously lichen and moss had lain in a tidy, compacted, semi-dead zone, there was now a profusion of life. Many more earthworms working the soil, beetles and small spiders, ladybirds and lacewings and dragonflies in the sprouting grasses and leaves. Bandicoots, too, had since recolonised the vineyard in striking number, aerating the ground with their plunging snouts. One night, we had even glimpsed their silent predator, the magnificent, rare Tasmanian mast owl. The living stuff of the soil was itself healthier, richer, sweeter, more friable. This shift in farming practice had entailed some hot, hard labour. Sheep were let in to clear the ground in winter, manuring the soil and turning it over lightly with their hooves. But in the summer, the weeds had to be hoed or cut back several times with a whippersnipper and left to return to the soil. The new competition had reduced the yield of our two and a half thousand vines, producing smaller bunches but arguably better berries. The vines themselves seemed healthier. Should we now push these natural farming principles further? and remove synthetic chemicals from the canopy sprays we use to control insects and the periodic blight of mildew or fungal disease. Last year, for example, in the wet, difficult vintage of 2023, these pests stalked vineyards across southeastern Australia, sowing some havoc. Removing synthetics from our sprays was in fact the last major hurdle to us following a strictly organic regime. There are two mildews that are the bane of vignerons, downy and powdery, 
Both are relatively modern ills, having first arrived in Europe from America in the mid-19th century in an extension of the so-called Columbian Exchange. Traditionally, they've been treated with copper and sulphur. In his great post-war novel of feckless youth in Piedmont, The Devil in the Hills, the Italian author Cesare Pavesi memorably records the moment of the cultural sea change. Workers were spraying sulphate along the rows of vines. I remarked to the father that it was strange to have to spray the grapes with that poisonous mist. The peasants' hats were all eaten away by it. Once, I said, they grew grapes without all this spraying. They may have, he said. Perhaps they did, once. Now the vines are full of diseases. He looked doubtfully at the sky. Let's hope no thunderstorm, he muttered. It'll wash off the vines and we'll have to spray again. Organic farming still controls mildew with topical sprays of copper and sulphur, Pavese's poisonous mist. On the basis, they are materials of strictly natural origin. They are termed soft fungicides. I was familiar with arguments that these soft fungicides, when compared with a suite of more modern synthetic agricultural chemicals, which often penetrate the plant tissue, are less durable and provide less protection. As such, they are said to risk more disease, a reduced yield, and ultimately impaired profit. Partly for this reason, one distinguished winemaker with whom I spoke, the producer of some of Tasmania's finest wines, characterised the organic regime to me as a systematic strategy for wealth reduction and possibly inferior wines. He also reminded me the soft fungicides carried their own environmental impacts. Copper, in particular, is a heavy metal and can build up in the soil with potentially sterilising effects in the longer term. I put this critique to the winemaker with whom we collaborate in the West Tamar. Originally from Zurich, Matthias Utzinger is himself implementing organic methods in his vineyard. He responds with a healthy, mirthful laugh. Fungal disease in my canopy is the least of my problems, Conrad. Last year I had an almost completely clean vineyard. He then adds, he does not trust synthetic chemicals on a personal level. Better the devil you know, Utzinger says. But he recommends I speak with another Tasmanian winemaker, Steve Lubiana. He has the street cred. Some 200 kilometres to the south of the Tamar Valley, Stefano Lubiana Wines is situated in the drier zone of the upper Derwent estuary north of Hobart. Here, on 28 hectares of clay, gravel and limestone, which bear out the old French adage that the vine thrives well in poor soils, Lubiana has farmed very successfully since the early 1990s, making wines of unarguable merit. In 2013, his vineyard became the first in Tasmania to be certified biodynamic. I meet him at his cellar door. He's a small, energetic man, tanned brick from his time in the fields, quietly spoken and highly articulate on his chosen ground. He listens to me patiently and then, without denying copper was a problem that demanded an alternative, he defends organic farming methods on grounds of ethics and quality. At the core, biodynamics is about respect, he says. Respect for the environment, respect for the people who work in the vineyard, respect for the consumer. He adds that whenever he opens a copy of the annual dog book, the booklet 
from the Australian Wine Research Institute that lists agrochemicals registered for use in this country, he can only say, oh my God. He prefers just to use copper and sulphur, natural materials. He insists his vines remain very healthy, the leaves thick and leathery with more disease-resistant skins, the result of an organic regime that has created far healthier plants from the soil up. And yet, he warns, going organic is no guarantee of quality. If you are a poor farmer, your organic farm will be terrible, while your conventional farm might be slightly better. Ljubljana invites me to walk among the vines. There is no doubting this is a beautiful, impressive vineyard overlooking the Derwent. The leaves of the canopy are indeed thick and green. The soil below the vines is lightly tilled back, and a cover crop of flowering purple phacelia has been planted between the rows, attracting a small army of bees. Nor does the operation appear anything but prosperous. Are you going fully organic? Matthias Utzinger asks me when I return to the Tamar. I am wielding my hoe, I answer, and thinking about it. But honestly, being so small, it seems we have few excuses not to. A life of small-scale farming may appear to be primitive, but in living such a life, it becomes possible to contemplate the great way. The ultimate goal of farming is not the growing of crops, but the cultivation and perfection of human beings. Masanobu Fukuoka, the one straw revolution. To hear more Weekend Reads, you can subscribe to The Weekend Read in Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.